to the last dance episode of the Play It As It Lies podcast. Not our final dance, don't worry. We have many more episodes to come. No, I'm of course referring to the Michael Jordan documentary that finished just last night. It was amazing. I mean, can you say any more about the greatest player of all time? Insane. Love to hear the story. So many touching moments. Frank, what was your favorite part? You know, like you said, there's there's a lot of good moments to choose from. Frankly, too many for me to choose just one. But I will say that life, we all need to find a friendship that mirrors that of Michael Jordan and his security guards, whether it be Wozniak or Gus Lett, rest in peace to two legends. Truly two touching moments. And I think it was nice to see the softer side of Michael Jordan. Um, which we don't really hear a lot about. And uh, between that and all the other anecdotes throughout all 10 episodes of the documentary, it's it was just amazing. And it's sad that it's over. Um, but I guess it gives us some more time to focus on the podcast, if there is a silver lining. All that attention will be directed right at our great, great listeners. Obviously, you know, Frank, if uh, you ever do be needing a bodyguard when you uh, make it big, uh, always call me up. We can have that kind of friendship. No, I'll have you on speed dial, and vice versa. You know, same goes. If we both make it big time, then we'll both be looking for a bodyguard. So if any listeners you know, know of anyone or feel they might be equipped to fit that role, we'll, uh, we'll be taking applications. Our listeners will always be there to protect us, and we know they will. Even though you guys weren't that great about our controversial opinions from last week's AFC playoff outlook. So don't worry, we're going to take it to the even more controversial NFC this week. So let's uh, let's start rolling into the NFC. So uh, like the AFC, we're going to start with the reigning champs, conveniently also the West. So this is easily the best division in football, being home of the last two George Hallis Trophy winners. So we're going to start here with their obvious weakest link here, which is the Cardinals, who you actually pegged as a winner this offseason, bringing in Josh Jones and Isaiah Simmons in the draft, along with Kyler Murray's absolute new best friend, number one wide receiver in the NFL, DeAndre Hopkins, in a Danny Ainge-esque move to rob the Texans. They're, this offense is going to be incredibly amazing, and I'm excited to see what the Cardinals do. But the other divisional birds in Seattle hold on to one of the league's most impenetrable defenses with Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, and Bruce Irvin sticking in the middle there, steering the ship. And as always, the offense will be run opponents down their throats with Greg Olson now in the mix. And expect, expect the Seattle Seahawks to remain dangerous. And of course, down to LA, the Rams have a new home, new threads, and new problems without a clear starting running back after ousting Todd Gurley and not replacing him, leaving them looking incredibly vulnerable to another slip, a bad sign for Goff and McVay, which really only leaves them vulnerable to the final man, a team down by the bay where Gucci Garoppolo roams. They will be looking to build on their Super Bowl run last year and pray that they get another shot of Mahomes using another new rusher in Javon Kinlaw. They won't get the chance in the regular season as the Wild West lands both Eastern divisions on their plate, neither being too tricky for a talented bunch of teams. So, you know, Frank, that was a lot. But, uh, you know, this is easily going to be the closest division and probably the biggest influencer for playoff races. So how do you rank these teams? And, I mean, you laid out a pretty good fast-paced case there, so I'm going to uh, try to keep the same energy. Um, starting at the top of the division, uh, I think that the Seahawks are actually going to edge out the 49ers for first place in the division, although I'll preface that by saying I think both teams are going to finish with identical records 11-5. and five. Last year, the 49ers were 13-3, and three, 
And I think they're going to have a strong season again. However, I think there's some means for mild regression. And it seems like any time, year after a Super Bowl, the team that lost that Super Bowl feels like there's usually a little bit of a hangover or a transition period. I think the 49ers, obviously their roster is incredibly talented and they have a great head coach. I don't think there's going to be a fallout to where, you know, they fall out of playoff contention or anything like that. But Seahawks were neck and neck with them for the division title race last year. And then the Seahawks dropped the final two games of their season. They finished two games behind the 49ers. And had they not lost starting running back Chris Carson to injury, I think that maybe the script could have been flipped. And I think that the Seahawks are going to get the advantage via tiebreaker this year and the seahawks were three and three in the division last year i think they pick up another division win maybe two in 2020 and in third place i have the cardinals and i know you and i are both high on the cardinals like you laid out and i think the cardinals are a actually sneaky off contender this year they only won five games last year i think they stand to improve significantly upon that win record i see them winning nine games and really i think that's just a product of being in such a great division with two with two playoff locks in san francisco and seattle the cardinals over under win total seven and i think that's an absolute lock for them to hit the over and their odds to win the division are plus 800 i don't think that there's actually a chance that they win the division still i mean that wouldn't be the worst bet to take necessarily and the cardinals last year they went one and five in the division and again you know i talked about how the seahawks will pick up another division winner too i think the cardinals will split with either the seahawks or the 49ers i can see them sweeping the rams which leads me to my next point i don't think that the rams are going to be all that great this year won nine games last year but i just don't see how they match that 2020 i think they're going to take a fairly significant step back they still have some talent in place to be competitive they lost todd Gurley and they lost brandon cooks and for a team that so heavily predicated on having a high powered high scoring offense i'm just not sure they're going to be able to replace that production and you can say that Gurley wasn't the same running back as he as he always was last year and that may be true to some extent but still Having the threat that he presents in the backfield really took pressure off Jerry Goff and opened up things for Sean McVay in the passing game. And I don't think Jerry Goff is frankly all that good. And I don't think that's too harsh to say that. And losing two of his biggest weapons along with an aging offensive line, I think that's a recipe for a seven and nine season, which would be, you know, well under their eight and a half projected win total. Yeah, and I'm I'm really interested to hear you say that's the thing with the Rams. I actually also have them pegged as the number four uh, placer in the division. Um, you know, obviously only one year removed from their Super Bowl performance. Obviously, they floundered in the Super Bowl, but they were looking like they were ready to be the NFL's next dynasty. With uh, you know, Sean McVay was pegged to be the next Bill Belichick, and look where he is now on the verge of a losing season. He was so close last year. Probably you know got a few games to turn his way. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, Sean McVay's career path is looking like after potentially having a big drop-off, only a 6-7 win season. So in L.A., it'll definitely be a different scene next year and looking in. But as we're looking only at this season, we're, of course, just going to keep it with the Seahawks and the Niners. 
I'm actually going to be flipped with you here. I have more faith in the 49ers. I do think that they're going to be hit with a hangover from the Super Bowl, and that's why I'm not posting them up to be more than the 13 wins that they got last season. But I think 11 is reasonable, like you put there. And I, like you said, actually, I really, I really do agree with a lot of what you said that it's going to come down to a tiebreaker. And with a lot of the points against and divisional tiebreakers that there are, I think the Niners are actually going to have a bigger advantage as they can more easily dominate um, the Cardinals and the Rams uh, just in the way that they played and historically. So I'm going to give this one to the Niners, just barely eking it out in the Seahawks, but very surely Seahawks number my number one wild card by far. I mean, either way, no matter how you slice it, both teams are going to be in the playoffs. It's just a matter of who's going to be hosting a playoff game and who's going to be playing on the road in the wild card. And for me, I mean, the biggest thing for me is just the Niners have the fourth hardest schedule. The Seahawks are middle of the pack at 13th. And I just really believe in Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. And I don't think the Seahawks necessarily had a tremendous offseason, but I did like some of the pieces that they added. And, um, I mean, I think it's just going to play out that way with with, uh, both teams having the same record. And, you know, it's a coin flip at the end of the day. Yeah, it is a coin flip in a very tough division that I'm looking forward to every divisional matchup of. Um, But we're going to move on here to a little bit less of an all-out brawl, uh, switching to the side of the country to the NFC East. So right here in our backyards, the nation's capital added Chase Young onto what is already a really young Redskins team, whose fate will be decided by second-year quarterback Dwayne Haskins and Riverboat Ron Rivera. Now elsewhere, a new coach and youth revolution could also describe the Giants, though their trademark will not be on defense, but rather O-line, where they spent five selections this April, notably George's Andrew Thomas, to help Saquon and Danny Dimes. The remaining two teams will be the real contenders here. The Cowboys, with a new sheriff in town named Mike McCarthy, versus Doug Peterson and his trusty ginger six-shooter, Carson Wentz. This is a real big debate, and I, we've been having it for a while, pretty much since our last AFC episode. So, Frank, let's let the listeners know. Where do you stand on this little duel? With America's team or the team that boos Santa? Oh, before I get into that, I'm going to start at the bottom of the division just to you know clear things up here and uh, get the easier the easier debate out of the way between the Giants and Redskins. I think both the Giants and Redskins are pretty much in very similar situations. They're coming off first seasons, but this is this represents a growing and transition year with young quarterbacks out to prove themselves. Unfortunately, I don't think the Giants and Redskins are ready to make a significant leap. I have both teams finishing around somewhere between four to six wins. And now I'll say both teams go five and eleven. While that would be a slight under for the projected win totals, I think that both teams will ultimately be an overall more improved team. They're gonna play more competitively and gonna have a better season. So while they're while I don't see them winning more than you know five or six games, I still think that there'll be reason for optimism. Um, so for Redskins fans, uh, your riverboat will be staying afloat won't necessarily be capsizing either but you know do with that what you may now get back to your most important point here eagles and cowboys to me this is ultimately going to be maybe behind the seahawks and 49ers as the most competitive one two division race and i've gone back and forth on this internally and then both talking to you off air 
And ultimately, I think the Eagles are going to end up retaining their division title. I say this, I think both the Eagles and Cowboys are going to finish with 10-6 and records. So it's kind of like I said, the Seahawks and 49ers, I see both teams winning the same amount of games, and the same thing here goes with the Eagles and Cowboys. Other team has a particularly difficult schedule. The Eagles rank 25th in strength of schedule, in strength of schedule while the Cowboys rank 30th. So the path to playoff contention for both teams would seemingly be somewhat easy. However, the Eagles do have a particularly brutal stretch It's the latter half of their season. In weeks 11 through 16, they play the Browns, Seahawks, Packers, Saints, Cardinals and Cowboys in four out of the six games are on the road. So you might be asking yourself, you know, why do I see them winning 10 games given that brutal stretch? I think that this is kind of the year that Carson Wentz is going to put it all together. And I think Carson Wentz has gotten a very bad rap in the media and particularly among some Eagles fans. I think that he's honestly underrated at this point. And last year he played all 16 games. He threw for over 4,000 yards. He had 27 touchdowns, only seven interceptions. And all of that was kind of tarnished by the fact that he suffered another unfortunate injury in the playoffs. But he got them to the playoffs. They were 5-7. and seven. He put them on a 4-0 stretch in the season, despite not having really any consistent offensive weapons around him. I like what the Eagles did in this offseason. Added Jalen Rager and Marquise Goodwin, two speedsters at wide receiver. They're getting Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey back, hopefully for more than a few games this time around. So Wentz will have the weapons around him. And I didn't even mention running back Miles Sanders, who's coming off a very, very successful rookie season. And on defense, improve their biggest weakness in the secondary by adding Darius Slay and Will Parks. Specifically, Darius Slay, I think, is going to have a tremendous impact on that secondary as he is a premier number one cornerback in the NFL and has been for quite some time. They also added Javon Hargrave with the defensive tackle from Pittsburgh, and their defensive front was already imposing with players like Derek Barnett and Fletcher Cox, outside linebacker Brandon Graham. I think their defense is going to be more balanced. I think the Cowboys, I know you're extremely high in the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys are going to be good. I'll say that. The free agency losses of blue chip players like Travis Frederick, Byron Jones, and Robert Quinn, that's going to be hard to overcome. I do think they had a strong draft. And losing Jason Garrett and replacing him with Mike McCarthy is probably addition by subtracting. Addition by subtraction. And it's hard not to hope, hard to understate the impact that. Know, upgrading that head coaching spot could have for the Cowboys. Um, I think it's going to come down to the wire between these two teams once again, but I like the Eagles to win the division, while the Cowboys, I think, will eke into a wild card spot. Well, I mean, we, you know, we'll have to agree to disagree here. I'm, I'm, you know, it all it all starts with the quarterbacks, and I love that you brought up Carson Wentz. Obviously, he's the X factor in all of the Eagles' plans, but I'm I'm talking about a different quarterback here that was way more slept on and had a very, very underrated last season. Frank, if I had to let you guess between any wide uh, quarterback, who would you think would have been number two in the NFL in passing yards? That's right, it was Dak Prescott. Top four in, pa- in passing touchdowns? That's right, it was Dak Prescott. Only 11 interceptions? That's right, it was Dak Prescott. 
The man was fourth in QBR, a completely underrated season just because he got outshone by Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Russell Wilson. But aside from that, he was the fourth dog in every statistical category. The man was a beast, and now not only that, he has a coach in Mike McCarthy who for a long, long time was the controlling factor in Green Bay that is now coming to Dallas to be able to bring a hand to this locker room and be able to do what some coaches can't. As we saw in the last dance, sometimes you have a coach that the players like, like Jason Garrett, like Doug Collins, you need to bring in the guy that knows what he's doing, and I think this this is a Phil Jackson-type move. This is a move that will get the Cowboys into the Super Bowl, and I think that starts with them winning the division right here, right now. Dak, Rain Prescott, will make it rain in Dallas, and I think he alone will lead the Cowboys to... uh, Did you have them at 10 wins? Yeah, I do. And I I don't think the Cowboys... Yeah, I mean, I have them at 10 wins. I don't think they're going to be bad in any stretch of the imagination. I just think Prescott's going to be able to lead them to 12 wins with this type of coaching, with all of the great pieces that he's now got around him. Notably... C.D. Lamb, and he that's a game-changer. Him and Amari Cooper are going to be able to change the field for Dak Prescott and give him a lot more time. I have so much faith in this Cowboys team. I have them a lot more faith than this Eagles team that has kind of shown time and time again that they are going to let their holes be holes. And this year, more than ever, that defense is showing its age, and it's showing all of those gaping holes that they have at middle linebacker, outside corner. If they can do what they do well, and they do it real well with rushing four in the line and keeping anything out of the middle, but day in, day out, Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb will be able to torch them on the outside, and I think that's what it comes down to. Two victories in Philadelphia and in Dallas that are going to get the Cowboys across the line into a possible number one seed in the NFC. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with you entirely. Do you think the Cowboys are going to be relatively formidable? Um, For me, ultimately, it's just... You believe a lot in Dak Prescott, and I don't think that your confidence is necessarily crazy, but I just happen to believe in Carson Wentz, similarly, um, in a very passionate manner. And I think that Eagles drafting Jalen Hurts in the second round, maybe that lights a little bit of a fire under Wentz. And I'm going to go out on the limb right now and say that, mention the tough stretch that they have weeks 11 and 16, four out of six games on the road. Against six potential playoff contenders, four of which are returning playoff teams, if he can navigate the Eagles through that tough stretch to be a 4-2 and two record, the Eagles win 10 or 11 games, I think Wentz is going to garner some legitimate MVP consideration. I'm not necessarily going to say that Hill is going to win the MVP. That might, be a bit, that might be a bit too far. I can see him finishing top five, maybe even top four in the discussion if all falls into place. Possibly, and that'll be exciting to see, especially with that stretch. Though I do have a quick question to ask you again about the Cowboys. But their stretch in the season, uh, now famously in the NFL, there are a few teams that have mascots, in case you didn't know. Five of them feature birds. That is, of course, the Atlanta Falcons, Seattle Seahawks, Arizona Cardinals, Philadelphia Eagles, and Baltimore Ravens. For only the fifth time ever in the NFL, a team that is the Dallas Cowboys has a chance to play all five of those teams this year. In week two, the Cowboys face the Falcons. Week three, they face the Seahawks. Six, they face the Cardinals. Eight and 16, they face the Eagles. And week 13, they face the Ravens. If they will beat all of these teams, they will be the first ever team to win the NFL Bird Gauntlet. Do you think the Cowboys have a chance? Uh, As cool as that would be to see that happen, um, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, stranger things have happened. 
Um, I think them and the Eagles will ultimately probably split, which they normally do on an annual basis. I know you have them sweeping the season series with the Eagles. I see more of a one-on-one split. Then I think they can beat the Falcons for sure, but both the Seahawks and Ravens are going to be tough challenges. So, I mean, I don't know. Do you think that that they can uh, can accomplish that? I think the Seahawks are going to whoop them week three, and it's never going to happen. But it's always an exciting thing to look out for. Uh, well, outside, you know, we'll switch it to the final team that we haven't talked about in the Bird Gauntlet, and that's the Atlanta Falcons in their division in the NFC South. This is the division where some things change and some things just stay the same. Obviously, our new boys, Tom Brady and Tampa Tom, Brady, Bay, whatever you want to call it, has changed the way that that division plays. And obviously, in Carolina, Keekly retired, especially with them facing the possibility of also losing fellow face of the franchise, Cam Newton. It's going to be their very different season in Carolina. Now changing to things that stay the same, we're of course talking about Drew Brees. That offense looks primed for yet another season at a championship, but now for the first time in a long time, Drew Brees really looks like he has a firm defense behind him, notably with Jenkins, both Malcolm and Janoris bolstering the defense. Um, and lastly, Matty Ice, also back now with former Offensive Player of the Year Todd Gurley at his side. So, you know, I'll keep it short with this one. Uh, this is a very interesting division. A lot of new players, a lot of new faces that we should look, take a look at. Uh, they'll be playing the NFC North and the AFC West, which gives a good shot at big win totals. Obviously, we're going to get to it. The NFC North, a little bit overrated. And the AFC West, we didn't describe as too many big winners in there. So the question is, uh, with all the win to get, who do you think will be picking up the most wins out of the South? I think it's going to be the Saints. And... No, hot take alert. I think the Saints are still the best team in this division, regardless of what the Buccaneers did in the offseason. And last year, the Saints went 13-3. and um, I think they're well-equipped to be right around 12, 14 wins yet again. They have strength of schedule, ranks only 24th heading into 2020, and their projected win total is 10.5. Uh, I think, you know, that's a recipe for them to exceed that win total by at least a few wins and on them have like you said the tampa bay buccaneers how does the addition of of tom brady and to a lesser extent but physically a greater extent rob gronkowski into an offense that was one of the most high-powered and potent in the league last year how is that going to manifest and play out and it's going to be incredibly interesting see how that happens and last year the Buccaneers went seven and nine this year their win total has shot up all the way to 10 in terms of their over under projection I think the Buccaneers are going to be a solid team I think obviously they're going to have a great offense yet again and transition from Jameis Winston to Tom Brady a lot of the games that the Buccaneers lost last year I don't want to harp too much on Jameis Winston a friend of the pod a lot of the games that they lost this year were simply because of Winston's interceptions and just boneheaded mistakes. I think that dynamic in and of itself is good for them to win a couple more games. And I will say that I think they might be being a little overhyped. I still think there's some potential concerns with their roster. I don't love their running back collection. I don't think Ronald Jones is all that great. And their offensive line is solid, I think be a little bit shaky down the stretch i also don't necessarily love their secondary they have a tremendous pass rush and run defense when you're playing against high-powered passing attacks like the saints and the falcons twice a year 
Their secondary needs to be able to buckle up when it gets down to it. And I still think that's a potential concern. I think the Buccaneers are going to finish around 9-7, and seven, which would be actually under the 10-win total projection. I'm interested to see what you think about that. Um, and in third place, I think we may disagree a little bit here. I have the Panthers finishing in third place, which would be a contrast to last season because the Panthers were 7-11, and point differential was minus 30. I really actually like what they did this offseason. Um, I think the addition of Teddy Two Gloves, Teddy Bridgewater, will bring stability and a calming presence to the to their quarterback position. And they went heavy on defense in the draft, drafting literally all defensive players. I really think that their defense is going to be strong under Matt Rule, his first year as head coach. And Rule has a defensive background. I think the Panthers are going to finish around eight and eight, and their over/under win projection is five point five. That would be a significant increase from what they did last year. And ultimately, I think their ceiling is a little bit capped by lacking some offensive firepower outside of Christian McCaffrey. And I don't think their offensive line is particularly strong. I think that's going to hold them back. But I think that's their combination of def- their strong defense and improved quarterback play is going to give them an edge over the Falcons for the fifth hardest schedule. And they won seven went seven nine last year they somehow managed to go four and two in the division i don't see them winning four division games this year i see maybe that dropping all the way down to two and four and i just don't think the falcons have done enough this offseason to remain competitive in what might be the second best division in the nfl outside of the nfc west yeah, I definitely agree with a lot of your takes there. I'll start with the last one you made there with the Panthers, and I'm just going to point you towards Detroit, a team that is utter shite, um, that just a few years ago managed to pick up Matt Patricia from the Patriots, uh, another guy with a big defensive background that brought in a lot of big-name defenders that uh, did not play well. Um, because the fact of the matter is the NFL is an offensive league, and when you bring in a defensive-minded head coach, you're kind of hoping that your offensive coordinator is going to be able to pick up that slack and be able to bring an offense to the table. And just like Matt Stafford really couldn't because he didn't have the dependability and the consistency from the head coach, that I think we're going to have that same issue with Teddy Two Gloves, especially losing your two biggest leaders on the field. I know that you have Christian McCaffrey that can really do anything in that backfield, but you're losing your starting quarterback and former MVP, and you're losing your former defensive player of the year and defensive captain. Those are holes you just can't fix in an offseason, and I think it, it's a slide that is going to give the Panthers a high draft position in the draft. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm hoping they prove me wrong. I want to, uh, Teddy Two Gloves to be good, but I think the Falcons, who I agree with you, have a big hole, have a lot of problems on their team, and probably won't reach the playoffs, will still manage to reach above them. Um, but yeah, going to your first point about the Buccaneers, I actually entirely agree with you that they're being overrated, and that's entirely because of the cornerback position. They have a very ta- talented defense, uh, Ndamukong Su, Vitavea, Jason Pierre-Paul, Devin White, Levante David, Shaquille Barrett make up a very fantastic front seven. But the issue is when you get to the back and you have Carlton Davis, Jamal Deal, Sean Murphy, Bunting, these are guys I had to Google beforehand because I didn't know a single player in the Buccaneers secondary, which is incredibly concerning when you're playing the Saints twice a year, and you're playing Julio Jones twice a year. And, as I mentioned earlier, they will be playing the AFC West and the NFC North, meaning you'll also be playing Aaron Rodgers, and you'll be playing Patrick Mahomes. 
the, the Buccaneers have a very difficult schedule. It may not look like that on paper, but because they have such a hole in the secondary, it's going to be a slog to get them through games. And I don't know if 42-year-old Brady can really carry a team through games where they're throwing 500 on them. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great point. And uh, leads me to a larger point that I don't think the Buccaneers are really going to be all that different as they were last year. I mean, despite only winning seven games last year, their point differential was positive. It was plus nine. And a lot of their games ended up just being shootouts. It, they were high-scoring games where they couldn't get a stop and the other team couldn't stop them. And I think that situation is going to play out quite often yet again. And like I said, the difference between last year and this year is simply going to be, you know, as Brady is 42, he might not have that much left in the tank necessarily but he's not going to make the same mistakes that winston was right he's not going to lose them games in the same fashion that james winston was and i think you know we seem to be in agreement on that and that's kind of the reason that i'm giving them two more wins than there was last year but outside of that i mean i don't think they did all that much to necessarily improve their roster especially in the secondary like you mentioned um, I definitely agree. I think one of their biggest parts of the offseason is they improved positions that they're already good at. They welcomed Gronk into a tight end room that already featured O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait, who had fantastic seasons last year. They entered Tom Brady into the to the NFL's leading pass yardage. I, I just don't think they're bright enough to fix holes, and Tom Brady, as great as he may be, is not the answer for this team. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, that's a wrap-up on the South. So that finally takes us to our last division, which is the North in which I don't actually have such a great write-up. And that's because we're starting with a hot take here that the NFC North is the most overrated division in football. We started, of course, with the best one, and I think we're actually going to finish with easily the worst one, starting with the Lions, who are a Detroit sports team. So do I need to go any further? They're not going to win more than four games. They added a lot of people, and uh, we should see some improvement, but I don't see this team getting much better because they didn't add... The just like the Buccaneers, enough to the holes that they had. This is a five-win team at max. Onto the Bears. Same exact problem. They barely know who their quarterback is, and neither of their options are great. Trubisky, I really want him to see do well this season, and I love to see Big Dick Nick finally take a starting spot and hold it down. The Bears just seem they're in a purgatory of trying to decide on a quarterback that's going to lead them into a very high draft pick. Leading us to the final two teams that some people may consider playoff worthy, but we disagree. At least I do. Uh, with the Vikings, I actually do think they are a playoff teams, but I think I just don't have enough trust in Kirk Cousins. The offense is there. The defense is there. They just need someone to guide that ship into a dock. And with the high-pitched voice of a 12-year-old and the catchphrases of a person in the 60s, this is not a quarterback for the modern NFL. He's just getting paid way too much to lead them to an 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven campaign at best. And uh, finally, um, the Green Bay Packers, the most overhyped team. I understand that people love them. They're the most storied franchise in the history of all sports ever. But this is the year that they finally have. Uh, Chicago Bulls. <clears throat> ah, Chicago Bulls. You know, but we're, we're talking greatest players of all time. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers is not quite up there. And that's entirely because the team is holding him back this year, how, how limited his offensive weaponry is. And that is going to come down to and incredibly be exemplified by Matt LaFleur, his new head coach, that may have led them to a very good finish the last season. They obviously got to the NFC Championship, but just like Freddie Kitchens last year, we're going to see that sometimes making a change gets you better in the short term, but 
isn't really the best idea. And especially with all that's happened this offseason behind Aaron Rodgers, mainly getting Jalen Hurts to back him up, and him having publicly come out and, quote, said, if there comes a time where I still feel like I can play at a high level and my body feels great, and I were to retire on the organization's timetable, then that's an easy decision. There are other guys that have gone on and played elsewhere. He's come out and said it. If they want a different quarterback in place, great. He'll go somewhere else. And I I just don't think that he's we're going to get prime Aaron Rodgers. I don't think he's going to have that fire lit under him. He knows what he is. He's got a ring on his finger and multiple MVPs. If he needs to go play somewhere else, he's not going to wait around. He will leave. And I think that's, uh, that's about that on the NFC North. And I wouldn't be surprised if next year we come back to this. And once again, they're one of the worst divisions of football. But maybe... Rodgers uh, will not be in this division conversation anymore. So after I've torn them all asunder and uh, really shown how much I hate the NFC North and how overrated every single team in it is, Frank, how do you rank these teams? Well, I'm not going to sit here and be the defender of the NFC North because I pretty much agree with almost everything of what you said. However, I'm going to begin my monologue by going to give the listeners a taste of what Kirk Cousins sounds like when he attempts to make a hard count under center. That is Kirk Cousins, a grown man with the voice crack, reminiscent of a small child. And yet that is the man who is going to win this division. And I think, like you said, the Vikings are going to beat the Packers for the division title in the NFC North. And a lot of people might think it's crazy to say that the Packers are really going to fall off that far, but kind of I'm on the same page as you. I know they went 13-3 and last year. Over half of their wins came in one-possession games. And down the stretch, they pulled out some wins, pulled out some very close wins against teams that they really should have been beating by a lot more points. I mean, the Redskins, the Bears, the Lions, they barely managed to beat those teams. In the playoffs, they went up against the 49ers. It just felt like they were totally, totally overmatched. You could just see the discrepancy between a great team looks like and what a not so great team looks like and more often than not i'm going to give aaron Rodgers the benefit of the doubt i think he's one of the best quarterbacks maybe of all time but especially of his generation but that being said i mean like you said we've been waiting for prime aaron Rodgers to return for quite some time now it's been what three four or five years that we've really seen him at his peak He's still been solid, if not, you know, very good. He hasn't fallen off. At a certain point, you know, road ends. It kind of feels like, and I know you alluded to it, kind of feels like the window for the Packers to compete in the NFC is closing quite fast. Don't necessarily believe all that much in Matt LaFleur and his offensive system. I don't think that their defense is necessarily all that great either. I still see them winning nine still see them going maybe nine and seven which would be right around the projected win total that's more so just my respect for for Aaron Rodgers I won't predict him to have a losing record or go 500 until I actually see it manifest um and then after that like you said the Bears and Lions really not that much to be excited for here whatsoever somehow the Bears managed to win eight games last year I mean, they're going from Mitch Trubisky to Nick Foles at quarterback, so congratulations, question mark. I mean, Trubisky was very bad last year, but I don't think Nick Foles is all that much of an upgrade. 
Um, and then the Lions only won three games last year. Getting Matt Stafford back would be good for a couple more wins, maybe. But with a six and a half projected win total, I think that's an under. I can't see them winning more than five or six games. And then the Bears' projected win total is eight, which is right in line with what they won last year. I think that's an easy under. I think they're going to win about same thing, maybe five, six games, maybe even less. And my last point, going back to what you were saying about the Packers and Vikings, Packers went 6-0 and in the division last year. Literally did not lose a division game. There's no way that that happens again. That's regression to the mean 100%. And with that, I think that uh, that pretty much sums it up. Does and uh, I'm not going to harp anymore on this uh, discussing division, and we're just going to go straight into listing out our winners and the rest of the playoff members. Obviously, we've already said who wins where, but our rundown is as follows I had the Saints, Niners, Cowboys, and Vikings all winning out their divisions, with the Saints probably going to top out the entire conference to grab the sole first round bye. And then for my wild card spots, I'm giving the Seahawks the benefit of the i guess not doubt as uh, losing out to the niners for the division race um i'm still giving brady and the buccaneers a chance here in the wild card as it is still tom terrific and just like you said with aaron Rodgers, it's kind of hard to imagine him not in the playoffs and i'm not gonna take him out of it until i see it i'm a little bit more weary with Rodgers, who isn't as committed as brady is to his brand new team but We'll yet to see that. And then finally, number seven is actually a pretty controversial pick, I think, is going to be the Arizona Cardinals, who, stop me if you heard me before this one, they have a starlit quarterback that is entering his sophomore season that just got some brand new weapons uh, and is looking good in the offseason. It's just like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes before him. I think Kyler Murray is really ready to spark out in his sophomore season. And I think having DeAndre Hopkins and Larry Fitzgerald next to him is definitely going to spice up, especially with how much help they got on the offensive line. That is a front office that knows how to build around a young star quarterback. And that Cardinals team is going to take the first step into really becoming a powerhouse in the NFC West, just like the rest of their division mates. Frank, how do you see it going down? So, I mean, we pretty much agree on most of the playoff field, um, although we have some flip-flop in terms of division winners, which we talked about already. But going through, I think the Saints, you know, I'm in I'm in agreement with you that they're going to be the one seed. I, I think overall, top to bottom, they have the best roster in the NFC, just like they did last year. So I have them winning the NFC South and snagging the number one overall seed in the NFC. And now the Seahawks. Um, Winning the division and in the two seed with 11 wins. And then I have the Eagles and Vikings, also as division winners at the three and four spots in the playoff race, respectively, with 10 and six records. And I have the 49ers, obviously, getting the first by 49ers, obviously, getting the first wildcard spot with an 11 and five record as well. And I have the Cowboys at 10 and six, getting the sixth wildcard spot. And just like you, I also have the Buccaneers sneaking in towards the bottom half of the playoff bracket. And to me, it really just came down to five teams that I think are going to be vying for the final three playoff spots in the division. And to me, those teams are Eagles, Cowboys, Buccaneers, Packers, and a team you mentioned, the Cardinals. I already talked about the Packers and why I don't think that they're going to be playoff team it was really hard for me not to put the cardinals in here and you laid out a tremendous case for them to make the playoffs 
And I think they're going to narrowly miss out. And for me, me, I couldn't put them over the Cowboys because the Cowboys roster top to bottom is just better. And it, I just couldn't talk myself into not having the Cowboys in the playoffs. And same thing goes for the Buccaneers. I just couldn't, I can't envision a scenario where the Cardinals make the playoffs over the Buccaneers if it comes down to those two teams. Really, it's just a matter of Eagles versus Cardinals. And this is tough for me because I already talked about. I'm a big fan of Carson Wentz, and I think that the Eagles are going to have a strong season. Similarly, you know, like you mentioned, I'm also a big fan of Kyler Murray, and I think the Cardinals had a tremendous offseason. Additions of players like, obviously, DeAndre Hopkins, Isaiah Simmons, Josh Jones, I think that adds to an already strong foundation that they have. reason that I would give the Eagles an edge over the Cardinals my playoff rankings is that I just trust Doug Peterson right now more than I do Cliff Kingsbury. I think the Cardinals just need another year to kind of grow and transition into being an actual perennial playoff team. Because the Eagles, you know, say what you want about them, they have a recent history of getting to the playoffs and being successful. And they have a winning culture with a strong head coach in Peterson. For that reason, I just feel more comfortable giving them advantage over a young up-and-coming team like the Cardinals. Although if the Cardinals do manage to sneak in, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um would give you major props for that. Uh, the Eagles definitely would be the team I'd be flipping out the Cardinals for, obviously. I mean, like you said, a great franchise, a great uh, time. But uh, the Eagles, interestingly enough, are actually the fifth highest team uh, right now in odds to win the NFC that top of the list is, of course, the Niners and the Saints. Surprisingly enough, the Buccaneers that we both very nearly didn't leave in our playoffs list are actually third at plus 625. My boys, the Cowboys, at plus 850. And then a following of the Eagles, Seahawks, Vikings, Packers, and Rams, all ranging between 1,000 and plus 1,300. Are any of those numbers sounding great to you? Obviously, I'm going to talk about the 850 for the Cowboys. It's a chance to win the NFC. But is any other numbers you're looking at there? I think the Seahawks and Vikings are being wildly disrespected by these odds rankings. I mean, based on the listing that you read, they're below the Packers, Eagles, and Cowboys. Is that right? That is right. The uh, Seahawks are listed at plus 1,050 and the Vikings at 1,300. So, I mean, I'm assuming that the Seahawks are ranked that low simply because of how tough the division is, but... I would put the Seahawks and Vikings third and fourth, respectively, right behind the 49ers and Saints. So I can't really wrap my head around that so much. And the Buccaneers being third, I mean, again, this speaks to the TB12 and Rob Gronkowski hype. I mean, all the odds makers are favoring the Buccaneers, not just to make the playoffs, but I've seen a lot of people predicting them to win 12 games and, and potentially be a legitimate Super Bowl contender. I don't see that happening. You don't see that happening. But, you know, it's kind of interesting. In the AFC, we talked about AFC last week. You have a team, you have teams like the Patriots and Steelers who are amongst the top, amongst the top of the leaderboard in playoff odds. And, you know, I think it's a brand thing. I think it's a pedigree thing. The Patriots and Steelers obviously have established winning cultures. And then Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, I think he's getting the benefit of the doubt here and really kind of inflating the Buccaneers' odds to make the playoffs, where I think although we both have them in the playoffs, I think it's going to be much more narrowly than people expect, and I think they're going to squeak in 
rather than be the third best team in the NFC. So I think I would definitely move the Seahawks and Vikings way up that list. I agree with you, especially when you're talking scheduling with the Seahawks and Vikings, both of our presumptive winners and makers of the playoffs. The Vikings are going to have such an advantage in a plus 1,300. They will be a home field advantage and may possibly get even a second game at home in Minneapolis where they have such devoted fans. That skull chant that they had every single season for the past three years has been one of the coolest things to see. And I think the Vikings are definitely a good look if you're trying to find some uh, some money to make off NFC Championship winners. But again, I'm going to have to bring it back to the Dallas Plus 850. Um, while these numbers aren't great, uh, if you're comparing them to the Chiefs at plus 500 or the Niners at plus 460, this is a team that I think is one of the best. And I don't know how many people agree, but I think this is a good solid edge to make some money on 850 before this team really explodes. And you'll be seeing them at much, much lower odds. So I would get in as early as possible these Cowboys. Yeah, that's strange to me that at plus 850, because that's a big number. And the Cowboys are losing. You know, they're Luigi Vegas darlings. I mean, obviously their reputation as America's team precedes them. So I would expect them to be, you know, have quite, I would expect that number to be quite lower than it is. So I kind of agree with you that that's, that's a good bet to place right now because it's probably going to change in the near future. It is. So that's, uh, that's going to wrap us up for the NFC and the entirety of the NFL at this point. Yeah, you know, it's been a it's been a pretty fun two week ride, and uh, we're definitely going to be revisiting some of these predictions and projections and storylines um, as the off season progresses. So they're subject to change, but uh, now you know, I think we're we're both pretty much confident uh, in what we think is going to happen. Yeah, and uh, don't be worried. Uh, though this two week period has ended, we will be back with even more content. Look out for any more information from us from our Twitter or our Instagram at PlayItPod. You can get more info from me at Rodham Kaufman. And Frank, where can listeners find you? You can find me at FrankJP0 on the Twittersphere. Well, Frank, that's uh, it's going to be it, for, uh, it from us. If, of course, you need that bodyguard, you know, you can call me. Rotom, and if you need me, I will be injecting Lysol into myself to uh, cleanse my lungs and prevent myself from uh, contracting any sort of virus. So uh, that's where I'll be. That's where you'll be. Wash your nasty hands. Reopen the economy.